From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, March 4th. Around the country, Native groups and their supporters have joined prayer runs to raise awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous people. A multi-day run over hundreds of miles ended last weekend in San Juan County. Justin Higginbottom spoke with participants about the crisis. Kadisha City is walking along a two-lane road in Montezuma Creek with about a dozen others. At the front of the group, someone is holding a banner that reads, No More Stolen Sisters. We are actually walking on this Four Corners Prayer Run to bring awareness to the murdered missing Indigenous woman and people slash persons. It's the last leg in a 232-mile run that took place over four days around the Four Corners region. Et City is from this area and runs this road often. She thinks about the missing then, too. I run out on these roads, and usually I'm by myself or I'm with my mom or like a dog. So I do think about it. It is kind of scary, but I try not to let thoughts like that get to me. (laughs) So I'm like, no, they're not going to stop me from getting my miles in. Public officials and journalists have highlighted missing and murdered indigenous in recent years. Authorities created state and federal task forces, but those walking today don't think enough is being done. And here in southeastern Utah, on the border of the Navajo Nation, help seems far away. It is a big issue because we've kind of had it recently happen to a local here. She has been found, but you know, it's still a good thing to be aware about, especially in an area like this where law enforcement and jurisdiction is an issue. There's been situations where law enforcement were needed out here, but for Navajo Nation, it took like, it takes a while for Navajo Nation to respond to help out here. And we can't contact our San Juan County either because this isn't there, because we're on Navajo Nation. Caroline Johnson is also from Montezuma Creek, and she says if there's a crime here, then Navajo Nation police come from all the way in Shiprock, New Mexico. San Juan County police are closer, but they often don't have jurisdiction. It takes anywhere maybe five to an hour or two for a police officer to come out and, you know, if we have an issue out here in Montezuma Creek, She wants to see more protection of her community. Johnson sees a connection between the problem of missing indigenous and lack of police. It would be awesome to have police officers here and then Navajo Nation also to open for someone, police from Blanding, Monticello come out and also Cortez, have them come out because they can respond quicker than our Navajo Nation cops. The group walks past a sign for missing 62-year-old Ella Mae Begay. She disappeared around eight months ago from northeast Arizona. Investigators now think she's the victim of a homicide. Just this weekend, authorities found the remains of Jamie Lynette Yazzie. She had been missing from the Navajo Nation since 2019. The finish line is at an Episcopal church. The priest here is discussing with organizers whether it's a good idea to hold upcoming Lent observances in the evening. They worry that it's not safe to travel at night. Alfredo Quintena came from Spanish Fork for today's run. Yesterday, me and my brother ran 23 miles together, and then today I ran four and a half miles. This is actually my fifth or sixth prayer run that I've done. Just try to run, you know, use my body and try to save my prayers with my body. The number of missing is hard to pin down. The FBI reports nearly 10,000 Native and Pacific Island members were reported. Those numbers are from 2018. The agency cautions against assuming all of those cases are the results of crime, but many here see nefarious causes behind those that disappear. 
Tina Harvey is from the Navajo Nation and has two relatives that are missing. I have a grandson. His name was Brian Nelson. He went missing from Farmington area November 7 of 2015. And I have a granddaughter that went missing June 15, 2021 out of Hopback, New Mexico. Her name was Renelle Rose Bennett. She has two children. Harvey says that it's her family that searches, but it's hard without support. We're trying to find a resource where we can get some funding so it can cover our gas expense, traveling expense, doing the searching. Evelyn Sosi also has a relative missing. Back in October of 2021, my niece Kimberlina Yellowhair was missing. When and how, really don't have the details, but eventually she left the house and from that day on she hasn't been seen. And she feels the responsibility for finding her niece is also with her and her family. Some here call the women relatives that scour the desert for their loved ones anti-armies. You wonder, you know, I'm sure everybody wonders, where are they, you know, what happened, you know. You, the minute you wake up, you're thinking about them. The time you're going to bed, it's there. Where can we find them, you know? Where are they? Where are, is our next place to look? And then when you go into Farmington, anywhere, Salt Lake, for me, I travel a lot. And everywhere I go, instead of paying attention to what I'm doing, I'm looking for her out on the street. For they were afraid. The gospel of the Lord. Please say the Lord's Prayer with me. You think about these things and food don't taste good. You don't even want to eat. I mean, you're eating good and all of a sudden these things crosses your mind. All of a sudden you don't want to eat because you don't know if they're eating. But, you know, when there's emptiness and you don't know, it's just hard. The shedding of tears, who's going to cry with you? Sosie gets some comfort knowing others will hear the story of her niece today, but she won't have closure. And when she travels to Salt Lake City, she'll still be looking. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. A bill that will block Moab and Grand County from specially regulating ATV-related businesses has passed the Utah House and Senate in the very last days of the 2022 session. These laws targeting Moab were inserted into a licensing bill by Senator Curtis Bramble after that bill had undergone hearings in House and Senate committees. So what we've done with this bill, we've said that a city is not entitled to set up a uh, unique regulation under the business registration licensing provisions. Senator Bramble, these new rules will invalidate broad sections of the county's Title V ordinance, which limits the size of ATV fleets and makes noise testing a requirement of operating an ATV-related business. Last year, local elected leaders imposed rules on ATV businesses in response to residents' many complaints related to noise. 
County Attorney Christina Sloan says Moab is uniquely affected by ATV-related tourism and that noise is a health-related issue. The impact of ATVs is unique in Moab because we are the only area where ATVs must drive through our residential areas to get to popular trailheads. In East Moab, of course, that's Sand Flats, and in West Moab, of course, that's King Creek area. And in working with our legislators, that's one of the points I'm trying to make is no one else is impacted like us. So it's not just because we're progressive hippies out there here and don't like ATVs. There is a true and unique impact related to ATV noise that is a health risk. Senator Bramble's late-stage amendments largely deal with stripping the ability of municipalities to specially regulate ATV-related businesses. However, he did add a provision that says political bodies cannot enforce a, quote, unreasonable noise ordinance that imposes a penalty for operating a street-legal ATV. Said Bramble of Moab's local noise ordinances. Some believe that uh, it should be challenged. There are those who believe that their noise ordinance may be unreasonable. Well, that's a test for the courts. And that test may come sooner rather than later. On Wednesday night, just one day after Bramble made public his adjustments to the licensing bill, 13 local businesses, many of them ATV-related rental companies, filed a notice of claim against Grand County. Also a claimant? motorized vehicle advocacy group, the Blue Ribbon Coalition. Their claim states that Grand County's noise ordinance and regulations on ATV-related businesses violates the Utah and U.S. Constitution. They estimate damages in excess of $1 million. Grand County staff and officials are not making public comment on this notice of claim. To read the claim and find the state's legislation, visit the show notes of today's news. And now, the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The state legislature's late-stage attempts to strip municipalities from their ability to regulate ATV-related businesses has locals wondering what happens now. Sophia Fisher from the Times Independent has more from their coverage. So HB 146, it's called the Local Licensing Amendments, um, and originally had something to do with food trucks in the name because actually this bill's initial intent was to regulate the licensing of food trucks. However, it's been it's been going through the Utah legislature this week, and Senator Curtis Bramble of Provo added a last-minute amendment that would prohibit local governments, including the county and the city, from regulating off-highway vehicle businesses in the way, in, in many ways, that we've actually been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, of, of high concern for obvious reasons to a lot of residents and, and a lot of local legislators. And actually, the amendment was also snuck into the bill after it was passed in the Utah House and after it had gone to the Utah Senate. So very last minute. Right. And um, people noticed it, I want to say, on Tuesday night. Yeah, the county had been receiving reports for a week or a week and a half that this amendment was going to be put in. And I know County Attorney Christina Sloan's been working very hard on this alongside a lot of other county and city officials. But the amendment went in. Uh, senator Bramble, Christina Sloan, said it's a very powerful senator and his amendments tend to get passed. And actually an update from what's in the Times Independent, it looks like the um, House has passed the amendment as well. Okay, so it has passed the Senate and the House with this amendment. So what does that mean? I mean, you told us, you know, it's going to strip local government of its ability to regulate OHVs, off-highway mm-hmm. vehicles. Um, what does that mean specifically for Green County? Uh, It means that we 
basically cannot test vehicles for compliance with noise ordinances. And one, is one of the big things that the county's actually been just working on for the first time this year, it would be prohibited from doing that. It would also prevent government bodies from requiring off-highway vehicles to undergo any additional inspection or registration, um, as well as capping the number of OHVs owned or rented by a business. So a lot of the kind of main strategies local governments have been using to try to reduce noise on our residential streets. And, you know, if the bill is enacted, uh, County Attorney Christina Sloan has vowed that she will sue to overturn it. She called it an illegal restraint on our regulatory power. So in addition to this amendment um, restricting the county's ability to regulate ATV-related businesses, mm-hmm. we got word this week that there is a lawsuit that has a a lot of those businesses involved, a lawsuit against Grand County um, for this regulation also. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that? Absolutely. And this is developing. So uh, we just have a few details on this right now, but it does look like about a dozen local, you know, Moab and Grand County off-highway vehicle tour businesses are suing the county for its Title V and Title Eleven ordinances, which regard business licensing and as it relates to the new noise ordinance in Title Eleven. So a lot of stuff happening related to ATV-related businesses, their regulation, mm-hmm. Grand County, the state kind of targeting Moab and Grand County. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to mention on these issues or the Times Independence coverage. It'll be interesting to see how these two stories play out, especially in relation to one another. Um, And I think one important thing to note is that even if, you know, these lawsuits and these uh, pieces of legislation do get overturned, one thing that's been really striking to me thinking about recently is just how much time and money that is still eating up from local governments. So Mm -hmm. even if none of this, even if we're still able to regulate ATVs in the way that uh, the, the county and the city have been trying to, maintaining that is already going to require so much effort from county and city staff, which is really, I think, unfortunate in some ways. Hundreds of hours of staff time on this stuff. Um, Well, thank you, Sophia. Moving on, where do you want to take us next in the Times Um, Independent? Yeah, in local government news, uh, Karan County has a new interim clerk auditor. Okay, so former clerk auditor Quinn Hall um, stepped down from that position recently to take another job at the county. Mm -hmm. So that left a vacancy. Tell us about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Quinn Hall uh, has been until recently the Grand County Clerk Auditor, and he recently left to take Mallory Nassau's old position as I I believe it's Assistant County Commission Administrator. And she moved up, right? She took Chris Baird's former role, and Chris Baird has a new role, the Strategic Development Director. So there's been a just bit of juggle of staff, essentially, as people Mm -hmm. move into new roles. Um, So the position of Clerk Auditor, it is a publicly elected one, and it's actually up for election later this year. Uh, in November. But of course, before then, we need a clerk auditor to run things. So the county commission was tasked with appointing a new one. And there were two applicants. Uh, One was Gabe Wojtek, who also up until recently has been the county commission chair. And the other is Rachel Stenta, who is a longtime uh, former Moab City employee. Um, And I also do want to share a quick correction. The Times Independent said that Stenta had served two decades with the city as the finance director and treasurer, but that's actually inaccurate. She served about two decades as the city clerk slash recorder. The, the names have kind of changed and just about a year as the city finance director slash treasurer. So just a quick correction there. Okay, so Waytech and Stenta are each planning on running, it sounds like, for the county's clerk auditor position in November. Yes, they are. Um, and, and the decision, I should say, the, the commission spoke very highly of both applicants, noting especially Stenta's relevant experience and their own personal experience working with Wojtek as a very competent professional. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it just came down to timing, it seemed. Stenta's not available until August 1st, which is 
maybe halfway or so through the vacancy in an election year. So for that reason, it sounds like the county commission just wanted to see continuity this year mm-hmm. and, you know, no breaks in that role. So they did appoint uh, Wojtek and that's also going to mean that there will be a new uh, Grand County Commission chair and a new appointment of a commissioner to replace him for the interim. Okay, so even more appointments. <laughs> um, thank you for helping us keep track of this. Yeah. Some election shuffling here. Um, where else do you want to take us, Sophia? Segwaying in easily. Just to note, today actually is the filing deadline for candidates for local, state, and federal races, which is exciting. And one thing that's really important to note in the 2022 elections is that we're going to be using new districts mm. as a result of the 2020 census. So I highly encourage everybody listening to go look up your new Grand County districts as there will be two district-specific commission seats and two district-specific school board seats. Uh, So please go look them up. We've provided the URL on the front page of the Times and um, you can find it online. Finally, Sophia, there's some coverage in the Times Independent about an opioid settlement. Um, You know, we've been hearing about these settlements all across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, What's happening here in Grand County? Absolutely. Uh, So Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan has chosen... Um, not to be included in the Utah-wide lawsuit against the nation's uh, largest major pharmaceutical distributors for for damages related to um, opioid addiction and opioid deaths. Um, And actually, Grand County is pursuing its own litigation. That's largely because it looks like the amount of money actually heading towards Grand County would be, uh, this is a quote from Sloan, quote, unquote, an offensive gesture. It seemed like we'd be getting very little money considering the toll that opioid addiction and fatalities have taken on this area. Okay, so that was Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan's sort of reasoning um, behind the decision not to settle and to continue with the county's own lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Of course, should Grand County have remained in the lawsuit, it looks like, we don't know for certain, but it looks like the amount of damages Grand County would have received would have been something like $128,000 spread out over several years, over 18 years, uh, which is the point at which Sloan called that an offensive gesture. And she said that pursuing our own lawsuit, uh, Grand County might be able to receive millions, you know, something like 20 to $30 million. And even if we don't receive anything close to that amount, it's very likely that Grand County could receive a lot more than that 128000 mm-hmm. Anything else to mention about the Times Independence coverage of Grand County's rejection of the opioid settlement? Uh, no, just that, you know, I, I look forward to seeing the results of this lawsuit. And I think it's just important for everybody to note how devastating the opioid crisis has been, you know, in Grand County and, and Utah and the nation as a whole. There, there's a quote in here about how the financial restitutions from these lawsuits could never fully address the human toll that uh, the addiction has taken. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Utah will soon transition from using its own COVID-19 transmission index to using the CDC's new metrics, which will guide policy and recommendations related to the virus. Allison Harford from the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. In late February, the CDC announced new framework for monitoring the status of COVID-19 um, in communities. And so the new framework is based on um, the number of new cases, hospitalizations, and hospital capacity. And in the past, Utah has used a seven-day positivity rate, um, the 14-day case rate per 100,000 people, and statewide how many intensive care units are being used. And Mm -hmm. so Utah is going to transition to this new CDC metric, which is 
a lot more lax than we've been seeing throughout the pandemic. Like, according to Utah's metrics in Grand County, um, we're at a high transmission, but in the CDC's new metrics, Grand County is um, considered medium. And so the CDC has also said that in medium transmission communities, it's like up to you if you want to wear a mask. Um, they're still definitely encouraging getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And the reason for the shift is because so many people are vaccinated um, and vaccinations are really effective against serious illness with COVID. So that'll be kind of a change that we're going to see. And also the Southeast Utah Public Health Department director came to the most recent Grand County Commission meeting. Um, and he said in January, Grand County was averaging 20 to 30 new cases per day, probably because of Omicron. Mm. Um, and now that figure has dropped to one or two cases per day. Wow. That's just a significant shift. Yeah. So vaccines are still available locally and testing is available as well, but it's going to shift from being available anytime to being by appointment because the demand for testing has dropped significantly. Okay. Are vaccines just available um, whenever, wherever? (laughs) Yeah. Vaccines are still largely available. And also... Bradford, the public health department director, said that a small number of first vaccine doses have been administered recently. Um, And he said it seems like personal connection is what's really helping people who haven't been vaccinated Mm -hmm, get mm -hmm. vaccinated. Like we are two years into this thing at this point. So I think that, yeah, people are really truly like still encouraging everyone to get vaccinated. Let's go somewhere else. Where do you want to take us next in the Mobson news? Yeah, so the middle school is introducing a new after school group, um, which will take students on outdoor adventures. And so the group meets on Thursdays and each week they'll bus to a new location and learn from community experts. So this is this is a middle school run program? Yes. Nice. Um, so I talked to Stephanie Byron, who's the school based therapist at the middle school and she said that she wanted to start the group because um, in her work as the therapist at the school she's been hearing a lot more about anxiety and depression from students and less about students interests or activities that they're doing Mm. and so part of her goal with this group and with all of her after school groups is to do things outside and get people working together in new dynamics Um, and so a lot of these students who go to our middle school have been going to school with each other since they were, you know, like in kindergarten. Right. And so getting them outside in this new dynamic, Byron hopes, will help them discover new things. And so on March 3rd, the group went to Courthouse Wash to explore with two park rangers. And then next week, they'll go geocaching, which is an activity that involves searching for hidden objects with GPS coordinates. Oh, fun. Yeah. And they'll also learn about art. They'll have a yoga day with a local instructor. And they'll spend an afternoon exploring petroglyph panels to learn about local archaeology. Okay, so a variety of different, literally, outdoor adventures. Yeah, and I mean, the benefits of being outside and doing things outside, there are multiple studies showing that exposure exposure to nature is linked to like improved attention and mm-hmm. lower stress and better mood. Um, And also, there is kind of a mental health crisis among adolescents. And this started really in 2019 um, when the CDC found that one in three high school students reported experiencing 
quote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Mm. And that was a 40% increase from 2009. Wow. And I'm wondering, you know, about the effect of the pandemic too on all, all exactly of this. Yeah. and so i think that this group will just help students do something new you said middle school students and can they sign up for it yeah so anyone interested um can contact stephanie at her email address which is byron b-i-r-o-n-s at grandschools.org or by calling her at 435-719-4709 and there's more in the Moab Sun News. There's a story about our local amazing museum. Yeah, so longtime Moabites will know that the museum went through a huge physical renovation. But the physical renovation wasn't the only new change that the museum is going through. I talked to Forrest Rogers, Mary Langworthy, and Tara Barish, who all work at the museum. And they said that they're trying to transition the museum from this space full of historical artifacts to a storytelling center that can really tell local community stories. Mm. So instead of like just focusing on the artifacts, they're focusing on experiences and connection. Right, yeah. Um, And so their 2022 programming really reflects that. In March, they'll be hosting an exhibit in collaboration with the Moab Valley Multicultural Center, and it's called Culture on Camera. And it'll showcase photographs taken by a Mexican photographer, and it'll also feature portraits of Frida Kahlo. There will be an opening reception for that exhibit on Tuesday, March 8th at 6.30. And then... In April, there will be a new community exhibit um, by Sea Caven, and that will be a follow-up to what they did last fall um, when they exhibited things that were relevant to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Mm -hmm. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It sounds like the museum is um, partnering with organizations to put on these like very culturally relevant exhibits. Yeah, definitely. So Mary Langworthy, who does community relations for the museum, said that The staff isn't trying to just be in a vacuum, and they don't want themselves to be the only people deciding and designing what goes on display. Mm, Um, And so she said they're passing the mic to other people in the community who have stories to share. She also said she wants everyone in the community to feel like at least once a year there's a temporary exhibit at the museum that they really want to go see. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.